You're about to hear my conversation with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the Fed's view of inflation, maximum employment, and what implications that may have for markets. We also turn our attention to China and talk about the recent easing cycle that's happened there. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me. Good to be back. Over the past uh, year, when we've had you on the podcast, we talked a lot about transitory inflation, non-transitory inflation. Uh, it seems as though Powell has come out in reverse course and indeed has removed sort of transitory uh, from the moniker uh, of inflation. Uh, what do you make of, of that and also recent actions uh, from the Fed in general? Oh, for sure. It's been uh, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks here since since we've had our last podcast together, and uh, absolutely last week with with Powell coming out and surprising many uh, in the market at at a venue that I, I generally would not be seen as a, a market moving uh, event. I think it uh, I think it I think it surprised a lot of people. So Powell was testifying at the uh, at the CARES Act. Uh, a testimony in front of Congress, which is which is new testimony that got put together as part of the, the CARES Act bill, where he and the Treasury Secretary uh, do a joint um, testimony together. And Powell came out and essentially said that he didn't see uh, uh, the higher inflation numbers as transitory anymore, which obviously uh, uh, shocked a lot of people uh, sure. in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of his his candor and and the and the venue. Um, now, going back, uh, just revision a little bit, we, we had been looking for a pretty hawkish, uh, expecting a pretty hawkish Fed at the December FOMC meeting, which is which is coming up and we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, so I'm not surprised to see a little bit of a pivot, but but the but the uh, the venue and the candor, I think, were quite uh, I think were quite, quite interesting. And that 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 transitory that transitory uh that statement around transitory i think really really got really got markets quite uh quite uh concerned in terms of um how aggressive the fed might end up being uh, next year in terms of in terms of hiking rates and i think the other thing that came out of the uh the testimony which 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 i thought was quite interesting was the idea that um uh the fed could uh uh, that that Powell was was relatively comfortable wrapping things up a few months earlier right. um, in terms of the tapering, which again, an interesting venue um, uh, to do so, uh, and and quite and and quite direct, which again is typically not how the Fed operates. Although I know Powell obviously wants to be seen as uh, more more transparent and and more direct in his communications, maybe versus a previous Fed chair. So he's definitely trying to. Uh, and I would say achieving uh, ticking, ticking those boxes. But be that as it may, um, you know, obviously the market the market reacted to that. And I, I would say a lot of the hawkish kind of market reaction that I, I was expecting at the uh, December FOMC meeting basically got pulled forward by a couple of weeks um, <clears throat> with 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 Powell's uh, admission. So I think. Um, I, you know, and inflation is likely to stay elevated here. That, that has generally been our view for most of 2021, that inflation was going to level up 
which is the term that we liked in Q2. And uh, I still I still like it. Uh, and, 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 and the idea behind leveling up was that uh, inflation was going to stay elevated for a while and then come back down, but settle at a level and at a pace that was higher than I think most of us throughout our, our careers have been used to watching. And uh, I think we are we are going to see that in the first half of next year, but I think we've got a few more months of pretty high inflation numbers before the, the annual number, kind of the, the, the year-over-year number, so to speak, starts to uh, starts to slow down. And uh, and the Fed, I think, wants to get ahead of that because I, I, I think that there are a few inside the Fed, um, maybe more, and maybe we'll know more at the December FOMC meeting, that think that uh, long-term inflation expectations are becoming somewhat unanchored. And I don't think the majority of people think that that's the case, but I think the probability of of long-term rates becoming unanchored uh, have have risen inside the Fed. And that is, a, in my opinion, a very key variable as to how the Fed is going to make decisions and how it's going to communicate in terms of its tone. And that's why, and I expect to see a little bit more follow-through around that theme at the December FOMC meeting, and maybe just to kind of you know, that'll fill in a bit of a gap as to, oh, wow, why, why did Powell choose this venue, the CARES Act testimony venue to announce that? Uh, it, may be, it may be obvious in a few weeks that because that, um, that thought process is evolving within the Fed, and uh, that's, why, that's why Powell wanted to message that, uh, that, you know, that idea at that time uh, that I, I wouldn't mind. I, I would be okay with wrapping up, uh, tapering a few months earlier, because in, indeed, the inflation expectations, uh, the longer-term inflation expectations within the Fed are are becoming seen as uh, are being seen as becoming unhinged. So I think um, that's going to be that's going to be a key theme going forward in terms of how and in terms of how to watch uh, in terms of how to watch the Fed. That's great. I just want to ask a few follow-ups on on the inflation uh, theme. Sure. Um, so you, you mentioned uh, you, you, you're leveling up for inflation. Um, what do you see that level sort of in the mid to long term getting to? Um, yeah. are, you, are you expecting it to be sort of two and a half or into threes? What, what's, the, what's the level up? And then maybe a, a related question, which is um, how do you factor in all the deflationary pressures or, or forces that are happening on the macro uh, level? Uh, things like you have baby boomers retiring, you have uh, the rise of technology tends to be all deflationary. So how do you factor that into the, the longer term thinking? No, that's great. Uh, no, it's a great question. So I, I, I think on, on the first part, um, you know, two and a half to three was was the working assumption that I think I think myself and, and, and a few of us on the team have been working towards as a, as a medium to long term inflation number. And I think that that I think that that is still accurate. Uh, I might be slightly biased towards the upper end of that here, um, but I think that those are I think those are fair numbers. I would say high, high twos, uh, maybe with a an, an anchor around, around three uh, okay. is 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 fair. A, a big, to state the obvious, a big um, question mark in terms of that are energy prices, you know, particularly oil prices, and and I would say, you know, gas gas prices, gasoline prices. And because that those numbers, uh, whether they're moving in either direction, can can whip the headline number around a, a fair bit. No, no sure. surprise. 
So you have to have a pretty strong and I would say somewhat steady view around oil and um, and gas prices to actually uh, have that. But, you know, on, on a long term basis, I think that that is that is generally where we're or at least a medium to long term basis. That is generally where we're going to be uh, settling towards. But I think I think it's going to take a while to get there based on the supply story, the supply chain story. And I think the Fed is somewhat coming around to this view now i mean if we rewind if we rewind the videotape and go back to may of last year the fed's comments would seem to suggest that sitting here now in december 2021 we would essentially be mostly through it all right um and uh, now i would say that the fed probably believes that it's later q2 ish uh 2022 when when things will when things will peak and this is what will be interesting, I think, also in the Fed meeting in terms of uh, just the, the central tendencies in terms of uh, 2022 for full employment, uh, which we should also talk about, and, uh, and, the, inflation, and the inflation number for, uh, for 22 as well. But I do see, I do see it, uh, inflation kind of coming back to around, around 3% with the big giant caveat, really, that gasoline prices, oil, energy can can uh, move that, you know, move that around. What, what I think is important is that our expectation around um, some of these more sticky, longer term uh, pieces in the economy have really have really started to see higher price price points, particularly shelter, owner, right. owners equivalent owners equivalent rent, uh, and and rent as well. Um, are, are, are ticking higher and we're seeing these 0.3, 0.4 numbers every month as opposed to 0.1 or 0.2. And those, and shelter again counts for about 32-ish percent of overall CPI in terms of weight in the right. overall CPI number. Um, so when you have these medium to long-term uh, uh, sectors of the of the underlying economy that are obviously very important. Everybody needs shelter, uh, and, and when and when there's demand for that, and new housing prices are going up, existing home prices are going up, and the way that that's calculated and kind of feeds back into the owner's equivalent rent uh, metric within the CPI, you're seeing you're you're seeing things that are moving higher that are probably not going to fade like. Like oil, or at least won't won't get whipped around like like oil and gasoline prices. They're almost opposite, where the uh, these are structural sticky uh, items that are that are going to be there, and that's one of the reasons I think we're going to see a leveling up in 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 inflation in the CPI number because I don't think we're going to see shelter prices shelter prices coming down anytime soon, and that's also a function of a very tight labor market, wages on the rise. I wouldn't go as so far as saying that we are in the that we are seeing a significant wage price spiral like we were in the 70s. Sure. But there are inklings of that. And maybe in six or 12 months time, we'll look back at now and say, OK, we were in the early innings of that. But 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 at a minimum, wages are elevated and that's going to all feed through to these stickier um these stickier uh, parts of the economy, particularly shelter, I think that's going to be there. And you'll see it in food, in food prices too. Everybody I'm sure sees and, and feels the pain when buying uh, food at the grocery store and, and going out to a restaurant. Prices are up a lot. Um, so I think, I think you're seeing, um, <clears throat> so I think, I think you're seeing that. And that's why I think we'll be, uh, 
that's what I think you'd be leveling up. But you know, if we were having this chat to the second part of your question um, a couple years ago, yeah, demo, uh, I would say demographics and technology. Here, right. here we go, right? Big impact on on inflation, and I think that I think that I think you're right. I think that the, those those factors are those factors are still there, um, but at the same time, I, I at the end of the day, wages and earnings are going to be able to drive particularly, um, well, maybe, maybe both the services and the goods components side of the economy. And I think that, you know, for now that, that technology and that, and that demographic, uh, <clears throat> impetus towards, towards deflation or deflationary tendencies, uh, or at least lower prices is, um, is probably falling by the wayside until we can really, uh, see a stabling out in um, both the supply side, supply chain, and the demand side, which means a cooling in 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 wages. And I I just I as particularly on the latter, I do not see that happening for a number of quarters. And I think that um, some of the old older uh, <clears throat> themes and drivers that we we definitely spoke about in. At least internally, uh, in 2018, 2019, um, when I came, I came back to the firm. Uh, technology and demographics, I think, are are important, but they're not. You know, they're basically being overridden by uh, the this, the current supply dynamics and the current and the current uh, wage slash demand dynamics. Great. Uh, just to ask uh, one last uh, on the Fed, and then we can move uh, through. Uh, sure. Different areas of the globe, uh, but sure. you did reference the dual mandate, uh, full employment being one. Um, right. You know, sort of a related note with demographics and all that sort of stuff is the participation rate. Figuring out uh, how many uh, people are coming back to the job market, maybe higher wages um, uh, excites them to come back. What's your view on full employment? Do you think the Fed has a, a reasonable um, uh, grasp on full employment and, and how to get there? So I think they have an idea. There's probably at least two camps within the Fed as to wh where where it is or what that number is. I would say three months ago, and we probably talked about it here. I would have said I think the Fed thinks max employment is around three and a half percent. But what has been happening here as we've been exiting the pandemic is that prime age workers, both uh, men and women have not been returning to the labor force as uh, in in as many in, in as much quantities as uh, people may have been expecting and i would say particularly female uh, the, the participation rate has not been uh, rebounding as quickly as it has for for the male uh, for male pop, uh, prime population in terms of and when I say prime, it's, I think it's the definition is between ages uh, 25 and uh, 54. Um, okay. And that has caused a big academic uh, discussion within the Fed. Is this cyclical or is this structural? Because if this is cyclical, then that might necessitate one set of reaction functions. But if this is structural, then that might mean that um, full employment or max employment as, as defined, which they've never defined it publicly, but let's put three and a half percent unemployment as a, as a number, just to have a, a flag in the ground. Sure. Um, 
if that's the case and, and prime age workers are not going to come back, the participation rate is going to be lower than the previous cycle. This is a structural thing, not a cyclical thing. Right. Then I think that the max employment number uh, might be actually around 4%. And that doesn't sound like a huge deal, half a percent, but, but it actually, it actually is uh, for a few reasons. Um, the, the first reason is that uh, I mean, maybe the obvious reason is that the, the the goal line for the Fed achieving its mandate with respect to uh, the you know having full having full employment or, or as the Fed would call it now maximum employment, the the goal line is closer, which means you can tick the box. And we already know the Fed thinks that it's achieved its mandate essentially on the inflation side, so it right. can start hiking rates. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Fed is relatively comfortable in terms of accelerating the taper process, which which I think the Fed will accelerate the taper process from 15 billion a month to 30 billion a month, uh, starting in January, although announced at the December meeting, because it's getting closer. And on Friday, we had the latest non-farm payroll report out of the US. Uh, and these are obviously November numbers printing in December. And the, no surprise, the unemployment rate gapped lower uh, by about four ticks and now sits at 4.2%. So you are only two ticks away from potentially what the new max employment number looks like. Now, to be fair, and, and I've talked about it here, I think on the podcast before, I think it's more nuanced than that. It, it's not just about one headline number. Everyone has to be participating in the, in the recovery. And I think that that's happening, but you're seeing it with some of the kind of secondary uh, unemployment numbers, the uh, what people would call the U3 or the and 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 the U6 definitions of unemployment, which basically kind of have a a bigger a, a bigger uh, uh, sample in terms of what 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 is the definition of unemployment? I.e., are you you know are you able to find part time work even if you want uh, full time work and that and that sort of thing? So you're seeing those numbers come down uh, as well, and I think that. Uh, that means that the Fed is close to achieving both of its dual, uh, both of its goals, at least from its official dual mandate, and that and that's very important because that means that's going to give the Fed the ability when tapering is wrapped up, presumably in now uh, March of next year, to be able to hike rates. If uh, particularly, I would say, if inflation is uh, still running hot and hotter than than maybe it expected for a while, and uh, and, and the then and the unemployment rate is basically at or, or maybe even beyond uh, max employment, uh, max unemployment. So that 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 change in definition, which I think is is undergoing, which sounded like a little bit of a, an academic exercise two or three months ago, I actually think is a big deal because the goal line has changed, and I think that's why you're seeing market pricing move pretty aggressively. I mean, I think that's why you're seeing the front end of the curve the U.S. curve uh, move higher um, significantly and reset you know, well above well above 60 basis points. And I think I think, frankly, has has further to go. And the market mm -hmm. is the market is well priced for at least 50 basis points by the Fed next year. I would say the market's probably more more around 60 or 65 basis points, depending how you slice it and what what securities you're using. But uh, it, it is it, it is it is definitely um it is definitely part of it. And I hope at the December meeting, we'll get a little bit more detail around how the Fed is thinking about that. Um, 
but I'm sure the Fed wants to be careful in terms of saying too much in, in, you know, for fear of uh, tightening financial conditions so much that it actually causes, causes a problem and then makes the Fed uh, removing accommodation from the economy a bit more challenging than it would otherwise. Right. Uh, before I let you go, Dustin, I just love your uh, comments on China. Uh, there's been some recent easing uh, policies out of China. Uh, how are you viewing that uh, that market? And um, I know that uh, China has been well held in uh, many of the, the portfolios yeah. as well. So any, yeah. any change on perspective with those positioning? For sure. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. So China, uh, finally, I would say, uh, uh, changed the reserve requirement ratio uh, by 50 basis points earlier this week. Um, that was a that was a long held view, I think, by me and the team. And uh, it, it had I, even through official channels, it had it definitely oscillated uh, back and forth. And uh, kind of late last week, you had a, a bit of a, a, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is happening with with China's number two, uh, Premier Li, essentially saying that they were looking at easing the the, res, uh, the reserve requirement ratio. And right. in fact, they they did they did on Monday. So um, so that's good. So I think that that's constructive for our our holdings uh, for Chinese government bonds. I think that still remains probably my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, uh, duration play are ten year uh, uh, China government bonds uh, hold, holding that duration. I would say I would say many on the team probably uh, sh- share that view um, in, in in many respects. And I still like I still like that view. Even uh, even after the, even after the uh, the easing, and I think that we'll see uh, potentially more next year. We'll have to see how the economy develops. I don't think we'll see another triple R cut for a while. The right. um, the bank, the PBOC, People's Bank of China, also uh, eased its um, its lending rate to us SMEs, small and medium term enterprises, by twenty five basis points, uh, which is also another, in my opinion, a very strong signal about. Um, providing liquidity to the economy uh, and, and making sure that, that there's a, a pretty big monetary injection uh, going through, going through year end. And obviously there's been a lot of um, a lot of volatility within the, within the property sector uh, within, within China and uh, you know, a few, a few, or at least, at least potentially one default, maybe more. And uh, on some of the, on some of the dollar bonds and uh, you know, as, as I'm sure many people know, uh, not, not dissimilar to Canada, uh, the China's reliance on uh, real estate as a percentage of its overall economy, as a percentage of GDP, is actually quite high. Right. And so, and not unlike the Bank of Canada, I think the um, I think the uh, uh, the Chinese government and the PBOC want to be uh, very very careful in terms of, of managing uh, what's happening there. And uh, and I think some of these cuts are uh, very very much a part of that in terms of trying to ensure that there's not going to be a real estate uh, crash. Um, and that there's ample liquidity in the economy and in the banking system, and uh, I think these these the, you know these cuts were were very much part of that very much part of that measure. So, not not expecting anything uh, additional really on that big macro scale coming coming through. I think we will see a lot of what I like to call tweaking at the margin in terms of macro prudential measures to try and help the somewhat beleaguered um, real estate uh, sector uh, in in China in the coming weeks and months. And we obviously have, and I think we'll. We'll continue, we will continue to see that. Um, but I do like from a macro perspective, and I think the team, I think I'm speaking on behalf of the team here, the, uh, you know, the uh, China, uh, China government bonds, you know, having duration in China government bonds seems to be good. 
a good position. We generally hold our our open uh, our our international positions with open currency positions, and we and we do so on, on this case as well. Um, we think that the Chinese uh, currency is relatively going to be relatively stable and has been relatively stable and will continue to be relatively stable against the U.S. dollar. Um, so that so you're not going to so you're probably not going to um, have a have a have a lot of volatility there, and that's obviously unlike a lot of our other positioning where we we've, we've generally been short uh, duration in uh, in Canada, U.S. Uh, and Europe. Um, you know, but those but those are going to be uh, those are going to be challenging, I think, for the next little bit as uh, as, as the Fed uh, hiking cycle gets gets priced in. And uh, and you have these monster pension flows uh, and ALM liability asset management flows that have a have a significant bid towards the long end of the U.S. and I would say to a smaller extent the Canadian curve and uh, are, are preventing uh, significant steepening in in the curve. And uh, I think if we have a a market where things are getting a bit more uh, aggressive in terms of global uh, hiking cycles. Um, you know, I, I think I think curves could stay flatter uh, for a little bit with uh, with front ends with front ends rising, and uh, and I and I do think we could we could see a little bit more front end uh, rising uh, in Canada, uh, but particularly in the U.S. here in the next uh, coming coming uh, weeks uh, weeks or months. But and and so all of that, you know, looking at the global dynamic, it, it still makes the China. Uh, duration play, long duration play, very very attractive for us. So yeah, we we do hold that across many of our portfolios, uh, not not only in our global portfolios, but also a little bit in our in our core and our in our unconstrained portfolios as well, because we do we do like that from a, a global macro exposure perspective. Dustin, thanks uh, for your insights, comments there. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 